So H.G. Wells, one of the most well-known authors, wrote things like War of the Worlds, uh, The Time Machine, The Invisible Man. He had this to say about Jesus. I'm a historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess, as a historian, this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. We're going to see that here today, whether you're a skeptic or believer, the impact of Jesus around the world. As Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And that's the central issue of which all of faith and all of history hangs is this promise that he is risen. He is risen indeed. As we continue through this season and going into Easter and stopping to think about this promise of what Christ has done in our life, in all of history, to just embrace that promise as Paul says, look, if Jesus didn't raise, then what matters? But because because he did rise from the grave, now he offers us life here and now. Let me give you some examples of people down through history. You'll hear people, you know, there's documentaries on different channels that talk about Jesus and they try to denigrate the, the impact of his life or say he was just a man. He's the word made flesh, God in the flesh. But when people say outside of the New Testament, where do you see discussions about Jesus? There's about 30 references by authors in that first century and early into that second century about Christ. Let's take a look at one here, Lucian, first century. He's a man critical of the church, and here's what he wrote. The Christians worship a man to this day, that person who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. Notice, first of all, that Lucian does not have any question that Jesus lived in that first century. He does not agree that he's Messiah, but we understand, again, the picture here when people say, how do you know that Jesus lived in that first century? He's the ever-living Christ that was born in Bethlehem and lived and died there. Jerusalem in 33 AD, while Lucian himself would testify. Here's Josephus also a first century writer, also not a believer, said this, at this time, there was a wise man named Jesus. His disciples reported he appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. So already it's known around Rome that is being taught and believed that this man, the Christ, has risen from the dead. Let me take a statement here from John Dickerson, and we'll look at a couple things that he shares just about the impact of Jesus the Christ. Again, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, let's look at the impact of this one person because nothing even comes close in anybody else's life. And here's what John Dickerson had to say. During the French Revolution, the revolutionaries created a new calendar starting with the year zero. No one uses that calendar today. The Soviet Union did the same thing in 1929, declaring no one in the Soviet Union will use the global calendar anymore. That claim did not last. No one uses that calendar today. There is one calendar accepted around the world today based on the life of Jesus the Christ. Why do we have the calendar that we have? Because of Christ himself. Notice what else, though. Did you know the global stock market for every major country in the world is closed on Sunday? This traces back to Jesus' followers refusing to work on Sunday. Why do we have a calendar 
used around the world based upon Jesus the Christ. Why is Sunday lived the way that it is around the world? Because of one man, Jesus the Christ. Ephesians 3 verse 19, Paul said, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. May we understand that and embrace that. He is the risen one and his love is for each of us beyond our even understanding. Let me share something here from Lee Stanley. He's a producer, director. He produced the the Gridiron Gang with Dwayne The Rock Johnson because Lee Stanley, along with being a producer, was a chaplain in juvenile detention centers. So he understood difficult situations that people face. But he himself made this statement as a believer because he's going to be challenged about his own son. He's going to be told your son has a learning disability. He'll never be independent. He's going to need prescription drugs. But Lee Stanley has a different belief. He believes in the Christ whose love is greater than we can understand. And he says, why is it that when credentialed professionals make a conclusive pronouncement, we mere mortals accept it as gospel? He sat down with a school counselor who told him your son is in this learning disability and needs to be in these special classes and probably will never be independent. And Lee Stanley said, I sat down with my 11-year-old son that night and said, Brett, look at me. We are going to change your life starting right now. And I refused to give place to whatever or whoever it was that wanted Brett's soul. He didn't need pills. He needed someone to invest the hundreds of one-on-one non-pain hours it would take to pull him out of that quicksand. Once again, times a million, we have given our children over to experts who most likely can't make their own lives work or keep their families intact. There's a battle for your kids so long before the first cry escapes their lips. Our biggest battle is with Satan himself. We'll find out what happened to Brett here in just a moment. Here's Clement, though, another writer in the first century. Having been fully assured through the resurrection of our Lord Christ, confirmed in the word, the first Christians went forth with glad tidings. What does Clement tell us? That Jesus believed to be raised, and so the early believers went forth with his joyfulness in their life. Joyfulness, again, because he's risen. His love is so great we can't comprehend it. Lee Stanley, with his son, shared that one night really stood out as they went through about a four-year process of his son going through deep, deep study to to break out of this learning problem that he had. But Lee Stanley said, here was a pivot moment for this family. He said, one battle stands out. Brett was bedridden, had not eaten in three days. I could barely feel his breath. I took his pulse, 40 beats a minute. I ran downstairs and told Linda, call 911. I went back to his room. I was stopped at the door. A voice said, in my name, you will cast out demons. Praise my name. So I took, Bri- I took Brett's lifeless hand and began to praise the Lord louder and louder. And after a few minutes, he sat up in bed and smiled, said, what happened? So today, where's Brett? Well, today, Brett's a, an adult, married, has children. He's got a successful business, travels the world. He's an athlete. Here's a great part of the story. Lee Stanley and his grown son, Brett, went back to that school now years after that counselor said, your son 
He's going to have problems all his life. So they go back to the school and they tell her all the story and how his whole life has turned around. And Lee Stanley said she looked at us, she listened, she smiled, and then she said this. Listen to what she said. In all my years as a counselor, I have only heard of such a transformation in a young person's life one other time. Like you, they were Christians. So let's take a look at a story here in the life of Jesus, this one who gives us life. Mark chapter 5, verse 23 to 26, the story of Jairus. And Mark records this. A leader of the synagogue named Jairus came there, saw Jesus, fell at his feet. He begged him, saying, My daughter's dying. Please come. Put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. Jesus went with him. Some people, though, from the house of the synagogue leader said, Your daughter is dead. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. There's the key statement here, verse 36. But Jesus paid no attention to what they said. Sometimes the best thing for you and I is to pay no attention to what other people said. There's plenty of critics. There's plenty of the skeptics. There's plenty of the negative voices. There's the fearful voices. And what did Jesus do with those voices? He paid no attention to what they said. And maybe there's something in your life or my life right now that there's those people with the limitations and we need to say, I'm going to pay no attention to those voices. I'm going to pay attention to the one who is the risen one. Whether we recognize it or not, impacts our everyday life, whether we are a skeptic or believer. Back to John Dickerson. He says this, two of the most celebrated holidays around the world are Easter and Christmas. Many other holidays are named after Jesus followers, St. Patrick's, Valentine's, All Saints Eve, today known as Halloween. The early church called days of remembrance of Jesus holy days. Over time, that was shortened to holidays. So even when people say holiday to avoid saying Christmas, they're ignorantly and unaware they're using a Christian term. So think about this. The fact that the word holiday would not exist if not for Jesus is symbolic. We live in a Christian-influenced world far more than we realize. There is one calendar the world uses. And Sundays are lived a certain way because of one man. One of the most used terms, holiday, is only used and only created because of that same living Savior. You know, Russell Kelso Carter in the 1800s Lived a a very vibrant, full life, an athlete, professor. He was a doctor, a minister, a songwriter. At 30, he had a fatal heart condition. He prayed to God and said, listen, God, whether I'm healed or not, I will live my days to praise you. He was healed. And to honor that healing, he wrote a song that we still share this day. That song is Standing, Standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. 
So back to Jared, Jairus, who also was standing on his promises. Mark continues, when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus found many people there. When Jesus entered the house, he said, why are you crying? The child is not dead, only asleep. Those are the key words here. They laughed at him. Notice the next key word, though. Jesus threw them out of the house. We know the rest of the story. He takes the, the father, his disciples. They go upstairs, takes the mother upstairs, takes the girl's hand and says, young girl, I tell you to stand up. And at once the girl stood right and began walking and everyone was completely amazed. Foreshadowing of the resurrection life he brings to each of us. Let's go back to that word though, where Jesus threw them out. That is the same word used to describe what Jesus did to the money changers in the temple. When Jesus threw them out, that is the same verb used 38 times to describe what Jesus did to demons. There are things that Jesus throws out of our life. Things that no longer serve us, things that lead us into sin, things that limit our thinking. And he didn't invite the people to leave. Those voices that laugh, he threw them out. And sometimes he cuts things out of our life or people out of our life that need to be removed so that their limitations don't stop our miracle from coming to fruition. Here's a gentleman who knows what that is like very clearly. Brian Welch used to sing with the band Corn. He gave up that band when an event took place. What happened was he became a drug addict. He was this millionaire on TV traveling the world, but he was addicted to meth. And one night his wife also addicted to meth. They were sitting by a pool with their baby daughter. And as he would share, they got into an argument over the drugs. He punched his wife and knocked her out. Then he took the drugs and passed out. When they woke up, they realized as they came to consciousness there's a baby lying by a pool and they said do you realize what could have happened while we were unconscious so on easter morning he went to church and he said he walked in and the pastor shared matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest and he said is that true they told him yes, and he gave his life to Christ. The burdens were lifted. His addiction was eliminated. He walked out of the band and committed to being the best father in the world to raise his daughter. Here's the interesting thing, too. He went back to singing a few years ago, and just a few days ago, he was asked, are you still a strong believer now that you're a singer again? Here's what he said, I will never regret giving my entire being to Christ and I will share my story until the day I die. Jesus Christ is my whole life's foundation. When the storms come and they will come, my life will not crumble because my foundation is very secure. I have found true rest in the depths of my soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight, the first scripture I learned 
came true for me in every way. Hebrews 13, 6, we're told this. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? As Max Lucado shares, that Greek word for helper is bothios. Bo means a shout. Theo means to run. And so when you need help, God runs with a shout and says, I am here. That's why with Paul, we say, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Back to John Dickerson, as he shares this, names of cities that are named after Jesus, his followers or key locations in his life are all around the world. Hundreds here in the U.S., 20,000 plus in Europe alone. Cities. And names such as Christ Church, New Zealand, Christmas Island, South Pacific, El Salvador, which means the Savior in Spanish, Holy Island, England, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Christian County, Missouri, Corpus Christi, Texas, literally means the body of Christ. Consider Las Cruces, New Mexico, Spanish for the crosses. St. Paul, Minnesota, named after the apostle. St. Petersburg, Florida, named after the apostle. Again, hundreds in the U.S., 20,000 plus in Europe alone. Why name cities after someone? Because that someone changes all of history. He changes our individual lives. Consider Arthur Bressy and his best friend Skinner. At the start of World War II, these best friends joined the army. In separate incidents, they were both caught a month apart by Japanese soldiers and placed in separate POW camps. Arthur Bressy learned that Skinner, his best friend, in a different POW camp was sick and dying. So Arthur Bressy volunteered for a work crew that was going close to that POW camp. He asked one of the Japanese soldiers, can I say hi to my friend through the barbed wire fence? The guard said, I give you five minutes. He went to the fence. He said, can you call Skinner? And then when he saw him, he shared this. Skinner was a dead man. He weighed 74 pounds. I stood at the wire fence and watched my best friend covered in filth, racked with disease, totter toward me. I wanted to look away, but couldn't. His blue eyes, watery and dulled, locked on me and wouldn't let go. These two lifelong friends stared at each other. When the guard said, time's up, Arthur Bressy reached into his pocket. He had been hiding a ring, his graduation ring, all this time. The guards never found it. He slid it through the fence to Skinner and walked away. The next day, Skinner approached one of the kinder guards and gave him the ring. The guard said, is this worth money? And Skinner said, yes. And the guard walked away with the ring. Two days later, the guard walked back by Skinner, dropped some medicine on the ground. Two days after that, he walked by again and dropped some food on the ground. And three days after that, he walked by and dropped clean clothes on the ground. Within three weeks, Skinner was strong enough 
to walk on his own. Within three months, he was completely back to health. He was on work crews. And when the war came to the end, Arthur Bressy and Skinner both released, brought back to the U.S. where they stayed best friends for life. Everything changed because Arthur Bressy gave Skinner that ring worth so much at that moment. And what a beautiful metaphor for the faith life. Because Jesus talked about a, a young man who left home, got involved in filth, lost his life, Decided to go back to his father's house. When his father saw him, we're told the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet because my son that was lost is found. My son that was dead is alive again. It is for this faith and this life and this hope for which we agree fully with Paul's words. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And now he brings us the life that is truly life and the love that is beyond our own comprehension. 